Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB, the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, I'm Dan Lebitar. This is South Beach Sessions. And if you've been listening for a while, you know how much I admire Neil Brennan. It's not just that before he reached 30 years old, he came out guns blazing from the very first dangerous episode as co-creator of Chappelle Show, tackling race on TV in a way I hadn't seen. It's that he went from writing funny, which is the hardest kind of writing, to stand-up comedy funny, which is the hardest kind of funny in entertainment. No edits, no safety net, just you and your talent, and a microphone and your vulnerability and the expectation of funny. It's a very hard way to make a livelihood, making others laugh for dollars, but it's been a pleasure to watch his growth as a craftsman in comedy, knighted by all the greats, Chris Rock, David Letterman, Jerry Seinfeld, Chappelle himself, Eddie Murphy. I thought Brennan's Three Mics special on Netflix was a genre-bending masterpiece, brave in how exposed it left him. And I think his current show, Unacceptable, which is playing in New York through November, is even better. Here's Neil Brennan, and forgive the clunkiness here, Chris Whittingham was bothering him about his audio, and they went back and forth, and eventually Brennan had to just drag the kid. You really drilled down on young Chris there. You really, well, the you really got to learn. The kids got to learn. <laughs> we are, we are that age now, right? We are the age now where <laughs> the kids got to learn age. Thank you for doing this. Did you have mentors that were hard on you like that? My father. It's what I was telling you about uh, a man right. who a man who did not do pleasure that I was perpetually trying to please. That's a that's yeah. a real mind fuck. I got into my late forties before I realized, no joke, before I realized the damage that had done. I remember hearing my dad went on a vaca- a biking vacation to France, and I was like, we can go on vacation now. Like, when did that start? We gonna enjoy ourselves since. When. so i'm right there have you explored much how much of your funny comes from from pain i mean i don't know there's no a b there's no way to explore it there's no uh, how would i explore it i, I like because i because i could be on vacation i'll still write a joke i don't know i could be having the most pleasurable experience a person can have dan and still write a joke so it's uh <laughs> oh really you, jokes yeah. make their way into sex even can you believe it the most serious thing in the world can you believe that louis ck didn't think logically or linearly about sex that's still shocked that the most non-linear person on earth couldn't think linearly about sex what it was worse than that mr brennan dear internet it was worse that's a blogger 
I think that that's uh, one of the hardest things that you face right now in comedy is having to see where all the holes are, where somebody can say something, right? Like, isn't that what the guys are complaining about in comedy, that they're not deft enough to know with no blind spots what one person can turn into a storm? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds about this. The, the one mind is people are looking for holes. And on the other hand, uh, things that people try to get started as controversial, just never quite, if it doesn't have likes, it doesn't have likes. Like the people kind of decide, you know, and it's, there's no consistency, but the audience is sort of like, it can make for a bad 24 hours, but it's, you're not going to get like significantly damaged. It's just a bad 24 hours. Are you as good at your craft as I think you are, where you feel, if not bulletproof or immune, you're not walking around with a perpetual fear of what it seems like all these other comedians are fearing, which is I don't have my footing around like where and how you can cancel me. I feel like that's the most confident place on earth for you, that space. You get into degrees. There are areas in which I can say like, that's, you can thin slice me. I know anyone can think someone could take a line or a joke and go, he said this. And then I look like a jerk off. But if they're uh, fair about it, that's not going to happen. But look, you can get me on the race stuff. Like I talk about the race stuff. Like if my racial jokes were done by someone with ill intent, they would still work to a racist. If I had a long discussion with somebody, I could disabuse them of, of thinking that I was some sort of bigot, probably. But the Internet's not about long discussions. So if somebody wants to come and get me, they can just come and get me. Where were the places in your act, though, where you were purposely? Because the challenge of this is something like a crossword puzzle for the, the masters. You want to get close to that line. You almost want to dance on that line. That's where the comedy is. It's like if I say the woke talking points, I'm not doing comedy. I'm running for local government. One of the things that gets the biggest laughs in my entire show is saying that there's a lot of homeless people near where I live in Venice, California, but it's hard to take L.A. homeless people seriously because I'm from New York. And that just saying I'm from New York and starting to take them seriously, almost it got an applause break one night. And I was like, guys, you can't applaud it. <laughs> so am I being callous? Yes. Are they acknowledging that they too share my callousness? Yes. Could a advocate for the unhoused come and shut me down? Also, yes. They won't shut down the audience. You know what I mean? So that's just one of those things where I could get canceled in five years. Uh, you know, who knows? That, uh, that's just like a, an acceptable risk. And it used to be there were people who had jokes probably around sexism, probably around, you know, the ob most obvious one is like Andrew Dice Clay or something doing like very sexist jokes. Right. And they were sort of like skirting the line it was like sort of acceptable sexism or fun sexism for for men, at least. And then and some some women. And then it just slowly over time, it just the lines of decency creep and. And you're into like unacceptability. How do you define comedy? What comedy is supposed to do? Right. Because I've heard Chappelle talk about this. Isn't the point for us to go into the spaces where no one else can go? Isn't that us trying to find the funny in there? Don't you want your comedians unbridled, unleashed? I think so. 
Well, that's the thing is you're talking about, yeah, that's what 99.999% of the audience wants, but the 0.001% of the audience wants morality, right? And those are the, some of the loudest people in public and no one, no corporation is going to say, ah, we don't care. You know what I mean? Like they can't say like, we're going to side with the immoral, even though most just about every corporation is, they have to at least give the appearance. So, so once that 0.0001% of the audience says this is immoral, this is wrong. Everyone knows it's kind of wrong, but that's what's funny about it, right? Everyone knows that it's wrong to say it's hard to take a homeless person seriously because they have a tent and a bicycle. Like, that's my joke, right? But the assumption is I have that thought and then I give them money, right? I think that's the assumption. The assumption is I have the thought about the homeless, unhoused people, and then, but yet I still give them 20 bucks. Or, or I don't know what the thought is. Maybe the thought is fuck them. But I, that's not my thought, but but the I'm I'm admitting to a imperfect thought or an imperfect impulse that everyone shares. And I you could argue that there's more humanity in the shared connection of the indiscretion on my are the collective indiscretion. There's more humanity in that than there is in honoring the unhoused. I'm not going to make that argument, but like, you know, I can't prove it. And again, no uh corporation, no public facing company is ever going to say, you know what? We're with Neil on it. Fuck the homeless a little bit. Fuck warm weather homeless a little bit. Unhoused is not an expression I had heard before. Oh, you know, really? And, and, well, in my before, like six months ago, in right. my childhood, yeah. you and I, yeah, I, I dressed in my father's clothes like ten straight years, and I was a hobo. And then it was. Oh, I, were you a hobo? I was a bum. <laughs> That's what we called it. Okay, you it was just my father's bum. wardrobe. It was just his wardrobe. No, Dan, I know the costume. And you put charcoal on your face. I remember the costume. I, too, was alive before the Internet. And then it became homeless. But when did it become unhoused? Because I didn't think of homeless as pejorative. It's just it feels to me like the same word. It's unhoused. It's homeless. It seems like it's the same word. And I I really don't know what it is that I missed there. I know the irony is, well, the joke I do in the show is like, oh, it's unhoused. Well, that's better. That should fix it. I'm sure a guy's going to be shivering under freezing rain and go like, well, at least I'm not homeless. I'm just unhoused. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They, You know what's funny is Carlin had a joke about it. He had a joke about calling. We shouldn't call homeless people homeless. I, I don't know if he got to unhoused, but Carlin's funny because he's on both sides of most arguments. Like, meaning Carlin actually said he had issues with Andrew Dice Clay, right? He basically, it was on Larry King. He kind of linked it like, next thing you know, it's it's anti-Semitism and it's a Holocaust, right? But he also had a million jokes like about anorexia. I believe the uh, the joke was rich bitch won't eat fucker. Not exactly the most humane thing I've ever heard. And he's got 40 things on both sides of most issues. You do a deaf job, I thought, on gun control. I'd love to know. And for those of you who haven't seen the act, it really is a pleasure in a lot of different ways. It is vulnerable and funny. It's crafted. It has been celebrated by other comedians who marvel at the craft. And he was coming off three mics, with which is genre bending. And he had some pressure on this show to reach into those vulnerable spaces from three mics. And I think that you achieved it masterfully where you 
take us through history, you take us through your history, you tackle something like gun control, and I thought that you walked that line very deftly on no matter what someone sitting in the audience was positioned to think about gun control as they arrived at your act, I don't feel like there was anything other than funny and good and smart there. Well, the gun control thing, and somebody just DM'd me today to say that he that was what he took from it. It's funny, I get a lot of DMs from women thanking me for talking about not being married and having kids, which I'm happy about because it's kind of aimed at women, Um, like the pressure they feel and whatever. Then they put pressure on men and men feel like just it's like a feedback loop. But but um, the gun thing. So a guy DM me today about thank for what you said about guns. So the statistics on guns are shocking. And they're shocking in that there are 40,000 gun deaths a year, right? And as a liberal, I'm like, that's a scourge. And how dare they? And we need to get these guns off the street. But the, the shocking part is two thirds of them are suicide. So which they never say, they never say it. So two thirds are suicide. So now we're down to 14,000 gun deaths a year. And meanwhile, the flu in the average year kills 50. So the joke I make, it's, it doesn't even quite kind of work as a punchline, but I'm like, think about how scared you are of the flu. You're not. Divide it by three and I'll meet you there because that's how scared I am of guns. The only guns I've ever seen in person were when I went to shoot one on a writing break from Nickelodeon's All That, true story, lunch break, we went to a gun range and... One time in St. Thomas in 2004, a a gypsy cab driver had a gun. I I don't, no one I know has guns. The average gun, you know, when they go, there's 360 million guns in America because the average gun owner owns seven guns. So once you get into all these stats, you're like, wait, I always think about in terms of fear, do I know someone that it happened to, right? Cancer, yes. Rape, absolutely yes. COVID, yes. Like you go down the hierarchy of do I know somebody? It's it's a kind of obvious, but that's kind of the way to do it. Overdose, drug overdose. Absolutely. Like those are things I'm fearful of. You know, guns are play a big part in our culture because they're good for drama. They're on, if you didn't watch, if you didn't see guns on the news or on cop shows, they're probably not that big a part of your life. Although if you're in the South, they are. I was going to say, if you're in a desperate environment, which you're not, if you're in the South uh, or if you've got kids and are afraid of school shootings. Right. But that's exactly right. If you ever look up that stat, every school shooting is the most profound tragedy imaginable. And thankfully, there aren't that many of them is the truth. I mean, one is too many, but there's if you look at even the mass shooting stats of like the last 20 years, it's like under a thousand people. It's again, I'm a fucking asshole for saying any of this, but like this to me is why the show is called unacceptable because I ha- I look at these stats and then I go, huh, I don't agree with the, the accepted wisdom on this. Like, I just don't, I don't, I, do, I I'm sorry. I just don't agree. And then if, by the way, if you look up the four, I had a version where I broke down the 14,000 gun deaths, half of them involve alcohol no one blames alcohol though somehow and i'm like no blame alcohol a little bit give give a third of those to alcohol. just chuck a third of those up to alcohol um a thousand of them are cops shooting people and you go unarmed no cops shoot armed people a lot so i just kind of can't accept the prevailing wisdom in i mean i i want to because i want to belong but i can't 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you find yourself proud or fulfilled by the way that you tackled anything specifically where you saw the challenge in it and the puzzle pieces attracted you instead of repelled you because you've become somebody who is very good at crafting all of this stuff and you're just proud of yourself because you're, yeah, I said this, I put this in the show or this is a space where I challenged my audience that might not think the way that I did to come a little closer to where I was. I like that I have two jokes about alcohol that are anti-alcohol because that's one of those things where uh, me and a guy I'm friends with who's not Dave Chappelle is uh, we talk about a lot as like we neither one of us drink much. I mean, he's like pitching jokes where he's like, you know, I'm talking about Chris Rock and uh, he's pitching jokes like karaoke is an excuse to drink. Karaoke sucks. But people do it because you can drink there. Baseball's pitifully boring. Sorry, sports fan. But it's a great, it's four hours. Drink, golfing. Everybody's bad at it. Drink. It's a thing to do while you drink. It's a thing you can, you can, uh, it's a beard for drinking, basically. I did that joke at a club in, in LA that serves alcohol. And the bartender said, drink orders go up after it. I've only done it twice, but he said both times drink orders went up. So I'm not, but again, I'm not even advocating like stop drinking. I'm just saying like, let's acknowledge what this is, which is a fucking poison, (laughs) an accepted poison, you know, like social media. Yep. Yes. You mentioned Chris Rock and I don't wish to betray any confidences. So forgive me if this does that. But he had mentioned that one of the reasons that you get to sit at the table where you've been knighted by all of these other comedians who view you as a comedian's comedian and uh, gravitate towards your work because they see the sculpting and they see what it is that you're making in ways that feel artistic to them is because you're vulnerable that that's the reason right. you get at the table on uh, comedians in cars getting coffee yeah. with Seinfeld, that why Letterman comes to the show, why? Yeah. Uh, because you're the guy who's willing to really get out there with your humanity and the ways that you are, quote unquote, broken. Right. Yeah. My thinking is those guys are power hitters and I'm those guys hit like 460 foot homers and I hit, I hit inside the parkers where like, wait, where did he hit it? It's spinning into the foul ball territory, like just one of those, like, and then one, you know, one guy. The outfielders so, have collided. He's running around the bases. And then it goes to the dugout and like, it's, uh, I'll throw the ball into weird play. The ball ends up in weird places. Uh, it's, there's usually an inside the park home run. Usually there's a mistake. I don't think there's a mistake, but, you know, or a better example is those guys are Dominique Wilkins and I'm Steph Curry, Right. Or they're Michael Jordan and I'm Steph Curry. Like, it's just a different... I'd say to them, if I could crush like you do, I wouldn't do this. Those guys can do a thing. There's maybe 10 people alive that can do it. They can get laughs where it sounds like there is a fire in the theater. Literally, like, a fire has broken out in the theater. Like, Rock says, black people laugh with their feet. 
in Bring the Pain, the camera's shaking because they're stomping because they're laughing so hard. So Dave's capable of it. There's a few people that are Bill Burr's capable of it. Uh, Eddie's capable of it. Um, Wanda Sykes is capable of it. Sarah's capable. There's just a there's a finite amount of people that can do it. I'm not quite. I can give the you will it will be a full meal because of the other shit. You will feel uh, maybe seen in a way that you wouldn't be by uh, the power hitters. Was it a choice? Did you at one point wake up and be like uh, you because you you've been doing this about 15 years? Yeah. Basically, I did a Comedy Central special, had a ton of good jokes in it and and like really big, good laughs called Women in Black Dude. You can look it up. I believe it's on Paramount Plus. And a lot of great jokes and nobody cared. Nobody cared because I'm seem superior, right? Like energetically, it seems like I think I'm better than people. I don't, you know, I don't cause you know me, but in fact, I think I'm worse than people, <laughs> but my face is such that I'm think it looks like I think I'm better. So I just decided, okay, being glib does not work for me. Being glib and confident and uh, cutie pie does not work for me. So I have to do a different thing. I have to do more of like the the moth, this American life uh, storytelling thing. Or this this show is less. It's a little storytelling, but it's more uh, my position in the world and how how I. It's more of like an emotional state than it is necessarily narrative whereas mike perbiglia does very narrative one-man shows um and great great ones this is more a little emotional thing so and i just felt like i'm never gonna beat those guys at their game like if people come uh, like dave's funnier than me right i don't say that with uh jealousy i don't say that with uh anger i'd say that like i know about comedy i sat in the room with the guy my fastball is 92 93 his fastballs 108 <laughs> i just seen it like i felt it whizzing past me i've made money on it do you know what i mean like i know what it is i know what like i know why the show is still popular it's not the writing the writing's great but he did half of that and it's his fucking essence you know, the joke I have with Chris is no two people on earth are more compared to Dave than me and him. No two people on earth. So what's funny is on the Google searches, I can see what people search on Google to come to the show. Neil Brennan, Dave Chappelle or Dave, just Dave Chappelle. And then they get they're like, oh, Neil's funny. So if they come to my show thinking this guy is acting like he's as funny as Dave, I'm going to be ripping them off. Right. Because I don't th I'm not as funny as Dave, but. If I'm close to as funny as Dave and I can add another thing that can get me closer. Right. So, I, you know, I don't have any shame about that. Like, I'll tell you, that's why I do it. It's like John Mulaney is funnier than me. Is he a lot funnier? No, but I know how to do comedy and I see what he does. You ever talk to NBA players about Kevin Durant? They talk about him like they're not in the NBA. <laughs> they talk about him like, whoa, man, like, yo, I, like, uh, <laughs> I, like, like, yo, even LeBron doesn't quite, but if he, if he could, he would, do you know what I mean? Like you, know, those guys have that pride shit, like worse than comedians do. I think they're closer to musicians or rappers or something. We don't, I don't have to be prideful. I'll, I'll tell you. And also I can see Chris's act in a way that most people 
can't even, I can see the shit. And I know you're like, oh yeah, he's funny to me. I'm not, and I'm, but I'm not going to ruin my life thinking about it. I don't want you to give me a list that names them, but th you don't think that of many, do you? There's, if I ask no. you for a number of people that you're like, that person's no, just like funny. I said, there's, I don't know, a dozen, 20, 30. I don't know. Like now I'm just trying to placate people that don't like me. 80 <laughs> with me. You have to, when you're doing like the comedy grade with me, you have to include like sketches and write directing and writing and all that stuff. If you're talking about the decathlon, I can get in there. If you're talking about the hundred meters, I don't know. But if you're talking about the decathlon, I'm right there or whatever. I, I, I'm, they invite me to qualify. I'll say that. Let's talk about charisma and how it is that you arrive at figuring out the things that one needs for likability because that's an amazing self-awareness for you to discover in your act okay wait a minute this me being smarter than the audience this one's not going to work i'm not going to bring them over here to me if this is my whole thing so well, like, how do you people don't want homework people don't want homework people don't want to go uh see somebody that thinks they're smarter than them like yeah I, by the way i don't I don't, I, I, if anything, I'm just like a pain in the ass. I'm a voluble pain in the ass. I'm a, I'm a loud pain in the ass, but I'm not, uh, I don't go like, what time are the fools getting here? What time are we opening the door to the fools? Like I spend all day trying to get the fools to come to the show. It's not. Is it just the glasses and the face? Like what, is, what is it? Because it's I, I, it's the face. I look, it's just the bone structure. You know, what gets a, shockingly big laugh in the show. I don't know if it's got, it got a laugh the night you were there, but I go, I'm clearly liberal. And then there's a beat and I go bone thin, bone thin crushes in a way I don't understand. <laughs> like where I'm like, all right. <laughs> they were already thinking it and you gave voice yeah. to it. It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's what it's the Ralphie may it's the reverse yeah. of whatever it is that, <laughs> yeah, that the big guys do. Yeah. You hit them with bone thin and they're like, Oh, he knows it. He, I was already looking at him and I, and yes. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's like remarkable in person. <laughs> like, Oh, he's narrower than I thought he was. Uh, he would be hard to assassinate because uh, he's, he's a <laughs> small target. Um, well, the charisma thing is also the good and bad thing about doing stand up in L.A. and New York is it is a contest every night. It's not announced like that. But for five years, I followed Chris D'Elia a lot, a lot. And uh, Chris D'Elia is one of the most charismatic people I've ever met. And on stage, he's off the charts. It's fucking fun to watch. So I'm following Chris. I'm following Joe Rogan. I'm following, you know, Whitney Cummings. I'm following Ali Wong. I'm following Andrew Santino. I'm following very charismatic people. You know, it's funny. Like, even if you look at that Chase commercial, I'm in with Kevin Hart, two shot. Kevin's on the left. I'm on the right. Charisma wise, it's like. He's just sunshine. He just is. In terms of like, if I was directing a movie, I'm a good obstacle, right? Like with Kevin, when that commercial, I'm an obstacle. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And I'm fun. I'm a, I'm like, good. That's my energy. That's how my energy reads on camera. I don't know how it reads in person, but like, I don't think people watch this and go like, this guy's a real, uh, you see, Levitard, he had an obstacle on. Um, <laughs> but uh, I didn't catch 
the guy's name, but he's an obstacle. Um, so I don't know. That's just what the camera does. Um, camera does the camera's weird like that. They say that movie cameras are thought recording devices. So you're watching someone think you don't know what they're thinking. Sometimes you do if they like in the story, you, you will. But they're very good at capturing that. So there's an energy thing that cameras capture that I don't think happens in person or whatever. But the charisma thing, it's just I happen to know the most charismatic people alive, arguably. And, you know, I just see the difference. You know, Alan, Dave, Chris, these people, Eddie Murphy, on and on and on. They want to be likable. You know what I mean? They want to be the most liked person in a conversation in an, in a room in a that's like part of their Mulaney that's part of their thing you know do you meet them there or do you shrink in the personal settings where it's everybody and everyone's trying to compete against each other it's such a small world I, you know what's funny is it's not in those circles it's not very competitive because it's like we're all just kind of like uh it's like bikers in the middle of the tour de france or it's the dugout or whatever sports I only use sports. You really are dumbing it down for our sports people. Inside the park home run. That's the only thing you fools understand. I've got so many art metaphors that I'm not using. I don't even like sports. I just go watch it so that I can speak to fools. (laughs) (laughs) Who are welcome at the show. Neil Brennan, unacceptable. Fools fools are welcome. Promo code fools. Um So, uh, no, if they're like at the net, I talk about the Netflix party in the thing. There's not there's not a competition. Kevin Hart's not trying to be like, who's over there? I'm coming. I'm going to be people are just trying to pick each other's brains. And it's actually probably less funny than people would guess. Is it super stimulating for you? Is it a lot of talk of the business or the insecurities on display that create the pain that create the comedy in a way, or you just sink into it and it's your favorite group of people to be yeah, around? It's people, it's people that you've struggled with for the most part. And it's like your brothers and sisters. Like I talk about a Netflix party where it's just like a who's who and all the people in there other than eddie murphy like are people that i've been arguably in the trenches with in a very not glamorous a very like survivalist kind of way it's a terrifying way to make a living neil terrifying to me it's not quite ufc fighting and boxing stuff but in terms of summoning courage writing and these other things can be safer okay so i always thought like when i was a writer and i would write for people i didn't think i was going to be performer but i always thought once i did i was like well now that i'm the performer i don't have to worry about so-and-so liking this whatever whether it was a producer or a particular like dave not like dave was like the he wouldn't use any of my bit like it's you're trying to please one person or a studio or whatever, uh, a network, whatever. Now it's just between me and the audience. The audience is a hell of a boss. I don't mean that in a positive way. Like it's not as specific as like, fuck Seth or fuck Dave or fuck Universal or fuck whoever for not liking me. The audience is like uh, scarier because it's like not personal at all. It's like, I don't know. It just doesn't taste good. I don't know. I don't I don't like it. And you're up there trying to fix the taste. You're up there trying. What? No, no. These ingredients, these ingredients usually work. Why, yeah, why yeah. aren't these uh, ingredients work? love sugar. Um, and they're like, not that. Well, I don't know what kind of sugar you put in. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know who sold you the sugar. Tastes like salt to me, Jack. 
So we're from a time when people said Jack. <laughs> and you're, uh, and you're, but you're up there saying to yourself, well, God, I'm pretty sure I used sugar and sugar's yeah, never like, tasted no, I'm like salt. off the sign. Let me think that was sugar. But uh, there must be something wrong with me. It's the same job, but it's, it is a harsher evaluation period. It's like if, if I would text a David sketch or something and wouldn't hear back or like, that's just kind of like embarrassing. If I, <laughs> if I do a joke in front of a theater of people and I advertised it and I marketed it and Letterman's there, yeesh, just a different level of like tension and, and like, <laughs> like you feel it. It's like the slow motion, like punch in the face. Was there anyone that you regard as better at having comfort or looking like he had comfort in it than Norm McDonald? Norm was so nonlinear. Norm's one of those guys that makes you feel like you're not in comedy. Like where you're like, I don't even know. Wait, what? He did what? Like it it was so nonlinear and so obtuse and so abstract that it was like fucking baffling. It was like, quantum physics, basically, where it's hilarious. It's so funny, but you can't you can like feel the wind shift in the in around the joke. Just odd, like or so the Germans would have us believe, like just things that he would say that were so great or like the Espies the, the thing where he's just bombing or yeah, just he just was so it wasn't even fearless. It was almost like sociopathic. <laughs> <laughs> for for good it was like a sociopathy benefit like look they're not all serial killers some of them are just bizarre uh they some of it they just end up creating bizarre joke constructs that are a joy to be around they don't all murder prostitutes Dan. <laughs> the the pressure of this job as you just described it very well i've thought of two examples in in my head where i didn't envy being you and the prep work that went into whatever pressure must have I felt it. like that I night. Like well i don't know if there is there a third one that you would put with i don't know the, what i don't know what the first two are okay i'm guessing that the first two are doing what you regard as or regard uh, most recently when I talked to you about it is the greatest work of your career, which is speaking about Chappelle as Chappelle and his shadow literally loom over you as a metaphor, making the Mark Twain comedy Lifetime Achievement Award speech. That one, I would think, had a lot that of pressure. That was the best monologue I think I could do. I don't know if that's the best word, but it's the best monologue for sure. I, I can't imagine the pressure of that. And then the pressure of Letterman asking you, you know, how do you follow three mics? How do you follow a genre bending success where you're trying to change the form of how comedy is done and you've done it with this show? And both of these instances, you rose to the challenge because I would regard unacceptable as uh, as your best work that's awesome i hope that's true the letterman was more ball busty than than uh than, not ball busty but it was just like how he was kind of like the letterman way of like how are you gonna follow that like and letterman I, something about him i don't feel pressured by uh meaning i know he respects me so because of three mics, so so based on that, I guess I could disappoint him, but I don't think I or I could sort of un, not live up to what he thinks my skill level is. But uh, pressure, 
The Twain thing, I don't know if I felt pressure. I worked it out. I did it in clubs five times or six times. So I was just hoping it would go well. The pressure wise, though, that's another thing where it's like, I know how funny Dave thinks I am. So I don't worry about that. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel more pressure of like, I want to do well in front of Jeff Ross. I'm not making this about Letterman and Chappelle. No, no, no I know. I know what you mean. Uh, like for high stress situations. I, uh, yeah. Like they were, I feel more pressure whenever I do a sketch than stand up because people expect everything to be Rick James. I think when I do a sketch and it's like, it's not, it ain't gonna be or blind white supremacist or whatever. Like that, I feel more like undue external pressure than performing for those people. It's like, I think those guys respect me. Those guys respect me more than the audience. I answered the question for In a you, weird though. Way. So, so what would you say? Like, what is it writing sketches or is there something that you yeah, regard I like? Say that I feel more pressure when I write, when someone's like, can you write a sketch? But he's supposed to do the best sketch show. One of the best sketch shows. What the hell is this dreck? That's where I feel pressure. Whereas with stand up in, in scenarios, the only time I feel pressure is when I don't feel prepared. Like I feel like preparation is the best alleviator for, for pressure. It's like kind of the only alleviator because then you can work your plan, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a place where you're more confident in the world than when you know it's humming on stage? When I'm really in a hot group with a gal. Um, I look at you and I see that. I can now imagine it. Yes, really. Seduction. When I'm really deep into into a deep, a real deep thing with a gal. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is a good feeling. Although, you know, you know, it makes me really comfortable being comfortable uh, just like in bed. <laughs> um, I'm very comfortable there. Like when sometimes I'll I'll lose consciousness and I'll be asleep. That's that's about as comfortable as it gets for me. You know, stand ups up there when a joke's going well. I would just think that there's a great blessing in being able to know that you can summon funny at your leisure and funny being the most charming thing. It is a weapon, I would imagine, all your life that has attracted people to you of all kinds that might not otherwise be attracted who give you the chance because you have this special gift. Uh, Sounds like you're talking about women now. Comics are like beautiful women. The way that they can lure a crowd with their funny because of how much everyone finds funny contagious. Yeah, it's hard to uh, speak about women without being disgusting. Meaning it just talking about like, oh, women like me. I don't know. I mean, some women like me. That's the thing that gets them in. Usually it's always funny if I match with a girl on an app and she's like, you do stand up. I'm like, if you like my face, <laughs> like you're in good shape. I thought the Sudeikis and Spade that they're famed lover boys, at least in part, because they can make everyone laugh. It's not just I wasn't talking about the luring of women. I was just talking about what's attractive to people. Right. But you you're not Spade and, and Sudeikis are not the two most famous, successful comedians in the world. They are. They have dated some of the most conventionally attractive women. But yeah, it's it's great. But you do whatever. Guys are funny. I mean, meaning like, although somebody was saying, a girl was saying to me recently, like, you have no idea how unfunny a lot of guys are. And I was like, nah, yeah, I'm lucky to be funny, um, like for a lot of reasons. And uh, sex traffic is one of them. Nailed the dismount. Good talking to you. That's the way that that's the, that's the way that well, it sounds like I'm trafficking people. What okay. I'm saying is it's other traffic 
that I'm getting are, uh, for uh, for sexual interest. What you're saying is that you are 12 car pileup gorgeous, that when traffic is around you, that cars- women do like the 70s guy thing where they bite their first, they bite their knuckle. Huh? And uh, when they see me drive, when I drive by my convertible, <laughs> please, please stop making that. Women sound. on roller skates, roller skate into manhole, open manhole covers because they can't believe it's me. Good talking to you, Neil. Good catching up with you. And I will tell the audience because he has extended his stay there and you should partake. Unacceptableshow.com is where you go. Neil Brennan, unacceptable. He's at the Cherry Lane Theater, New York City. Extended November 21st. Unacceptableshow.com is where you go. Always a good time talking to you, sir. Thank you for letting me probe around in there. All right, I'll talk to you soon, buddy. Mike, I'm sure you remember this. When I was at Neil's show in New York, I was reminding him that he was just beginning his stand-up career. He was just developing what he would devote himself to over the next 10 years. And we went to go see him at the Miami Improv, and it was at your behest. You thought I needed to go see that guy. You wanted me to meet him and talk to him, and we've become friends because you set up that introduction. I don't, I've never asked you why it is that you did that. I mean, you do stuff like that all the time with talented people, but I don't remember the particulars of why you did that that night. I just thought it would be cool to have that guy in our universe. I don't really have these master plans. If things come together, they come together and it's meant to be. And we've been lucky to have a few of those really talented people sort of work out after those chance meetings and me probing. But yeah, I just, I thought it'd be good for us to get to know Neil Brennan. And it's been a a real good relationship. He's Chris Cody's favorite guest. Every time Neil Brennan joins the show, Chris Cody... Uh, I'm not putting words in your mouth. That's your number one guest on the show, right? I mean, he's the funniest dude. He's smart. I mean, his mind, you can tell, is just racing a mile a minute, 100 miles a minute. But yeah, dude, I love him. What speed is his mind racing? What speed is your mind racing? A mile a minute. (laughs) you got to slow down on the gummies. That's just me, man. I'd like to give the gummies credit, but I didn't Uh, have any gummies today. Wednesday, Chris. Stanley Tucci next week. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley. SAB, the CV. Copyright 2024. Proximo. Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.